It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello! Happy anniversary. Fifth anniversary. Bloody hell. Who'd have thought? I mean, who'd have thought we'd still be together? Um, <laughs> We've not, not got off on a very good foot together. Yeah, weirdly, it's my uh, it's my wedding anniversary today. Oh my goodness. And I think I'm less surprised that you and I are still together. <laughs> five, what is five years? You always good on these things. Oh, I think it's polythene. No. I don't know. And um, you say I'm always good on these things. I think I usually just Google it while you're talking. Well, that's what I'm going to do. Um, wood. Maybe I should have whittled you something. Were you good at woodwork? No, terrible at it. Oh, I mean, so pred- predictably with my fine motor skills. But I like the idea of sitting on a porch whittling. Right, I think I would have made you a toast rack that fell over. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we should say it's all very appropriate because we're back in the law for the first time since the pandemic. I know, in person. In person. Ed has bought croissants to celebrate. From Esther's Round the Corner, yeah. Oh my goodness, you got me an almond croissant, which looks so good. I sort of thought it was a nice thing to do because it reminded me that when I, we first started, we'd have cookies, wouldn't we? You know, the, the cookie we used to eat was voted by Eater London, London's best cookie. And I like to think that we popularised it. How's the Japanese the toilet? I'm going to be honest with you. I wouldn't go in there if I were you. Right. Okay. There's something going on with the plumbing. Right. If you need the lavatory, go to the downstairs I one. mean, maybe there'll be new listeners who've come in who just wonder what I'm going on about, about the Japanese toilet. But basically, where it all began, we thought, where should we do it? And you said, well, I've got a little studio in my loft and there's a Japanese toilet. Oh, yeah. He was uninterested in the studio setup and the fact that we don't have nice sound quality. It was all about the Japanese toilet, which to this day... I don't think you've ever fully availed yourself of, have you? It, it was malfunctioned at various <laughs> moments. You did also once try and buy me a Japanese toilet for my birthday, didn't you? Yes, and uh, you can't get the entry-level one in this country anymore. <laughs> entry-level. 
I don't think a Japanese toilet's ever been described as entry level. <laughs> That's what that is. Hence the malfunctions. I must say, is I already feel miles better being. It's good to be sort of back in person, isn't it? I agree, and I, as I say that as a social misanthrope. And as you've well. been trying to persuade me to come back in person, and for various work-related reasons, I've been wary. It was hard not to take it personally. <laughs> what were you like, aged five? If I met Ed Miliband, aged five. I don't know, really. I can, I can just to warm you up. I, can, I would say that I, you would have met a, a young boy who was a little bit of a daydreamer and had a little difficulty focusing. Loved the Muppets and was a prolific bedwetter. <laughs> so, yeah, not not that much has changed. I mean, obviously, I was availing myself of any blame party conference videos I could find. <laughs> Do you know, literally, that my first political memory was of play school being cancelled when Howard Wilson resigned? Couldn't they have just shown his resignation through the round window? So that was when I was six. So I was watching play school anyway at the age of five. And I, I feel strongly that the the very much our chance should be five more years, five more years. The the look of horror on your face at the prospect. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you've got something to tell me. No, I thought you were bringing me here to have something to tell me because as we before the microphones were turned on, you said, "Oh, I've had this meeting with Rachel and Joe about you know five years on on the podcast. You know, are there any changes we need to make?" And I thought you were. I thought my P forty five was sort Ed, of. How could you think that? I'll be honest. Negotiations with Ed Balls yeah, didn't exactly. go well. <laughs> well he's, now bro- he's now a broadcaster. <laughs> yeah. We've been talking about what we can do. You know, with, with the five year point. Yep. And we were thinking, let's refresh the podcast. Renew our vows. And, and why don't we give the listeners a task? Yeah. We'd like new theme music. Now, that's not to disparage our old theme music. But five years on, why don't we try and freshen things up a bit? Let's see if we can end listener, listeners to, to come up with something different. And maybe we could organise a recording session. Maybe you and I could be given musical duties. Oh my goodness. Is there an instrument that you fancy? The maracas. I can see you playing maracas. So I was wondering if, if you're listening to this and maybe you're in a band or Ooh. maybe you've got a kid who does music Ooh. or maybe you noodle around in your bedroom. Let's see if we can't get some ideas from listeners. Mm. It's like the uh, the Reason to be Cheerful song contest. And are you going to have like juries from around Europe? Well, we should get, we should get judges. We should get Sam Fender. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be easy. Sam Ryder. And there's got to be another Sam. Your son, Sam. Yeah. Would you be open to the idea of the new theme music having lyrics to it? As long as I don't have to sing them. Okay. We could even, um, Gail does a great job for us as our announcer, yeah. but maybe we could intersperse Gail with some of our listeners' voices if they have ideas for slogans, catchphrases, if they want to record themselves and send them to us. Wow. DIY. Yeah. Let's see how we get on with this. I'm going to give you the email address. Usually we give you the website. Yeah. Reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com is the email address. And let's let's see what we get as we move into the autumn 2022 refresh. Yeah. There's a very successful pop band called ABBA. <laughs> Maybe they could help. Because you went to ABBA Voyage. I know. That's why I said it. I, we should say what ABBA Voyage is. This is the, uh, the spectacular project that ABBA have been working on for years. They've built a custom arena in East London. And every night you can go and see ABBA perform as if by magic. The Abatars. Can I just say it was an absolutely extraordinary experience it's unbelievable isn't it it is 
Unbelievable. This is me talking. Because you were very worried in advance. Most likely to be found in a library, least (laughs) likely to be found at an ABBA concert. As I was arriving, people were sort of looking at me. Some people were recognising me, looking at me as if I'd sort of taken a wrong turn. And then then they looked even more mystified as I walked to the dance floor entrance. You know, because you you had tickets for the dance floor. You decided to go all in. Birthday, and it was at absolutely brilliant now you were worried about your dance moves i was trying to remember what you said about how many arms you're allowed to put up in the air uh, <laughs> is it one you said i think so yeah. yeah um but for the first 10 minutes you just thinking to yourself okay these people are real yeah do you know how they do it ghosts <laughs> they are very strict about no phones which of course is to protect their artistic copyright but from my point of view was protecting my dance move embarrassment so that, <laughs> that was a very good re- relief i thought maybe we could have a sort of general ban on phones when i'm in the vicinity uh, uh, um i mean honestly i really would recommend people go it's absolutely amazing you can't understand what you're seeing and then there's definitely a point at which when i saw it i, I looked around the room and i just saw however many thousand faces and it's just joy it's just pure joy But you said this thing to me at the end i texted you and said it's absolutely mega and you said and people come out and they're so happy and i know and he's exactly right and as i was walking out this woman said to me uh ed what did you think i said i thought it was amazing she said you know as i was coming here somebody said to me it's going to change your life and i I think it has. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, okay, but, I mean, that is quite something. It, it, yeah, it's such a joyful experience. And it makes you think, where is that technology going to go next? Well, presumably Oasis, the Beatles. I mean, I mean presumably- they, they, could, they could restage Woodstock. You could, this is, I'm just spitballing here. You, you could reanimate your shadow cabinet from 2013. <laughs> Do you think there'd be an audience for that? I mean, there'd be you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure there'd be much more of an audience. Yeah, that. I think maybe not. So, there you go. Well, I'm pleased you enjoyed it. Uh, honestly, it was your it was your recommendation. It was just tremendous. I'd go again. Honestly, I would definitely no, go I again. I know, I know. I feel the same way. Well, should we tell people about what we've got up our sleeve for our fifth anniversary yes. special? Yes, why don't you do that? Today, we are talking to, I think, one of the funniest people in the UK. Apart from when, me. <laughs> whenever her latest column yeah, drops, twi- yeah. Twitter goes yeah. into overdrive. Yeah. She is Guardian columnist Marina Hyde. She's been there for over two decades and so prolific. I mean, so many words. At one point, I think she was doing three columns a week, politics, current affairs, pop culture, celebrity, sport. And she has a book, which is uh, an anthology of her columns from mid-2016, following the Brexit referendum to July of this year when Boris Johnson stepped down. It's called What Just Happened. It's fantastic. We've wanted to get her on the podcast for a long time, and I remember once floating her name to you, and you you said in hushed tones, you think she'd really come on our podcast? Exactly. Now she has. Yeah. That's our fifth anniversary treat for you, and I'm I'm so excited to meet her. I'm I read nervous. her columns, and I just think she's just so she's just a genius. How, how a, does she do yeah, it so consistently? We'll find out. And, and why don't we? Because it's our fifth anniversary. Why don't we do a, a reason to be cheerful? And, and we can go earnest with this one if you want to. Looking back over the last five years, well, I'd say you don't look a day older than you did. And then you're going to follow it up by ago. saying I look like 900 days older <laughs> than I did last week on Zoom. <laughs> No, um, I think I've been ravaged by these five years. Okay, well, mine is just quite earnest. I mean, 
we started the podcast in 2017. Donald Trump was the president of the United States. That was not a good situation. <laughs> uh, Donald Trump is no longer president of the United States. For the time being. Uh, jo- thank you. <laughs> Joe Biden is president of the United States. And much against expectations, uh, he ended up passing a climate, some climate, important climate legislation as well as other things too. So I think it's a reason to be cheerful. Definitely. And I, I was going to do a climate one as well, because you can look at the last five years and especially when you read Marina's book, think to use her phrase, um, it, it's been a bit of a tyre fire. But the the way that climate has become such a central issue is yeah. amazing. This morning, my son had to fill in an application form. He His school has an eco team and he's desperate to join it. So we, we're working on the application form. And, and uh, one of the sections was what ideas yeah. would you, uh, would you yeah. bring to your school? And actually, you look at the school and what they're doing. So much of what I would have suggested and steered him towards suggesting they're already doing. Wow. Um, it was really hard, actually, wow. to, to come up with something with him. No, go on. What did you come up with? That they collect rainwater. Yeah. And then at the summer fair every year, dunk the teacher who's uh, created the most waste. You didn't say that. <laughs> was that his suggestion? It was one of a one of a suite <laughs> of one of a suite of suggestions in his manifesto. <laughs> what were his slightly more serious suggestions? Uh, going to Parliament to protest, giving plants more space so they don't fight with each other. The That's roots good. don't. He's quite obsessed with the roots fighting with each other. Yeah. Uh, what else did he say? Oh, some kind of award for use for reusing a water bottle the most. Good idea. Yes, he had. He had a few. It's so striking that ten years ago we'd have said the right ethical thing to do is to go green and all that, and obviously that's still true, even more true, even more urgent. It's also economically the right thing to do. It's much cheaper, um, and and that is a big change. And even in the early days of the podcast, that sounded yeah, yeah. to people like a bit of a Trojan yeah, horse yeah, for some yeah. lefty ideas. Yeah, yeah. And th- now that's very much yeah. in the mainstream. Yeah. So there are some reasons to be cheerful. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Well, it's time to say hello to our special fifth anniversary guest. Very, We are very lucky and honoured, I we would are, say. We are. Uh, the new book is What Just Happened, Dispatches from Turbulent Times. Marina Hyde, hello. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for coming yeah, on. Yeah, we're, we're so excited. I was saying to Ed before some years ago, I said, <laughs> what if we tried to get Marina Hyde on the podcast? And, and Ed went, oh, do you think she'd do it? In hushed tones. <laughs> Prepare for disappointment. I didn't think she would. I didn't think she would. I thought just to warm us up, because we're celebrating our fifth anniversary, and the book roughly covers the same period of time. I thought I could, I could do a little test with Ed, where I would read him descriptions of people from your writing, and and see if he can it's, it's tell a, me who they it, are. It, the police use the system as well, by the, the way. It, <laughs> it covers the sort of post Ed period, doesn't it? This? It does. It does. An easy one to start with for number yeah. one: turbo capitalist fanny steamer magnate. Bloody hell! Say that again. I turbo to... capitalist fanny steamer magnate. I have no idea. Who's going to tell you to steam your fanny? Not oh, yours. Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes. Not yours. Is she, she seems to be a favourite of yours, Marina. She's a favourite of so many of us. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the multi-trillion dollar wellness industry, where, in a world that quite demonstrably gets thicker and <laughs> thicker. They sell you the, your, your illness and then they sell you the cure. Do you like her as well, though? No. 
Not <laughs> OK. I don't think so, no, because I, I thought she showed her colours a bit when Donald Trump was elected and she said, oh, this is a really actually exciting inflection point. It's like, oh, I oh get that when you're sort of supra-politics <laughs> and it doesn't really matter, it's kind of fun to say, hey, let's just throw the cards up in the air and see what happens. Anyway, perhaps we should revisit her thoughts now. All right, ready for another? Yep. It's number two. I've, I'm not out of one, aren't I? Oh, no, I, got, no, I sort of got, got it yeah, in the yeah. end, but I with some heavy hint, yeah. Jacob Rees-Mogg's robot sidekick. God, I'm stumped. Uh, Marc Francois. I think you're close. It's close, but no cigar. Steve Baker. Yes. These people became characters over the last few years. That, that to me, is an absolute scandal and tells you everything about the age we've had to live through. <laughs> um, okay. Looks like Jim Jones's corpse if it had spent three days getting bleached and bloated by a Guyana River. <laughs> well, this is because I thought he was a cult leader by this point. Go on. Do you want to give him the answer? It's Boris Johnson. Yeah, no, he, because he looked so sort of degenerate by this point. And I did sort of think that no matter how many things people were being presented with him, they were like, no, he's, he can't really do any wrong, <laughs> no matter how much the evidence was mounting up. How How... How much chiselling goes into a bit of writing like that or does it come to you in a flash? No, no, I do them all in the morning. I just get up in the morning, do them the columns relatively quickly, like in a So an analogy like that is just it's just there fully formed. I will normally go to Google Images. This is inside the actors. <laughs> no, this, this is interesting. I will go to Google Images and I would look at the pi- the most recent pictures and try and let my eyes go a little bit funny and think, Oh, you know. Theresa May looks like a Quentin Brake drawing of an unravelling postmistress or something, you know, when... And I, I just look at their most recent pictures, sometimes of them at the dispatch box, sometimes of them just walking around. How did you discover that you had that ability? Because I think we've hit upon the thing that I find most extraordinary about your writing, which is you conjure these metaphors, these thoughts, which seem so apt and yet so kind of outlandish. Well, the thing is, Ed, I often don't know about the obscure thing this could be compared with that happened in, e.g., a back room in Westminster in 1978. So I always have to think, okay, I'm just watching it at home on telly like the rest of people. So what does this face remind me of? So rather than having to kind of delve back into political history and explain things that way, although I do sometimes do that, in general, I really try and be a friend to the reader and I try and I watch it at home the same as them. I don't try and think what they might be thinking, but something to amuse them rather than to say, look, I'm really clever. I happen to know this. But like the turn of phrase and the analogies, I mean, it's the the sharpness with which you're able to... Are you like that in normal life? I don't like know. with your family. I suppose we, I mean, I try, I try and have a laugh, Ed. But you see, I've done all these things quite early in the morning, written these columns. So by that stage, I've cathartically worked through whatever latest piece of chaos and clusterfuck we've had to be in. In a way, it's your way of getting out your rage at the It's been times. very, I have not got unresolved news issues in a way. Because I, <laughs> but therapists tell you to write everything down, don't they? So I really do. Just, so you're journaling. You know, I'm essentially journal. I'm journaling. Gwyneth, Gwyneth would be a dis- fan Yeah, of she'd be a huge fan. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm journaling our latest descent, and then when you've actually, you know, there's some there is something quite therapeutic also about trying to think of the joke because in a way, um, stating what's happened or offering a commentary on it, there's a bit more of a an exercise to having to go through something and try and work out what the joke or a suitable enough joke about it would be. So I do think that's quite um, cathartic and therapeutic and it does help me. Uh, Other people's, many other people's brilliant jokes have helped and their satire have helped me throughout my life. So I I just try and do a teeny little bit back in return. A couple more. 
gives the press conference with the air of a man who strongly suspects there's a chalk penis drawn on his back, but is just going to butch it out by facing forwards until the bell goes. Gavin Williamson. No. Is it Rob? It is Rob, yeah. Ah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So many faces. <laughs> it could have fitted quite a few at any one time, that one. Is he a favourite, Rob? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like he's he's leaving us. Yeah. <laughs> we, we knew him so little. Um, yes, he's always, he's always been good. He always seems to me to have much pent up something. I, I feel I've gone quite far with him. There's quite a lot of a surprise legal never took out of my column that related to him. I mean, I just want to say for the record that I don't think he literally has lockups and, <laughs> and chest freezers with contents of which I just can't go into. No, I just I just would like to make that clear for the record in case, you know, now he has more time on his hands. How heavily legal are your columns? Quite. <laughs> Um, Does, yeah. The fact that it's humour. Um, you thank no, the legals. You thank the legals in the acknowledgement. You get like a whole paragraph. Yeah. No one ever says thank you to them. I think it's quite. Yeah. No, I thank the legal in my acknowledgements, but I I really try to get things into the paper and over the because I've done it so long and it's you know you find a way of trying to get stuff in onto the page. And there are lots of different ways of doing things that essentially the reader knows you're saying exactly the same thing, but legally it's okay. What proportion of things that go to legal come out and what proportion stay in? Very little nowadays because I've, I've just, I've done the job a long time, so I I mainly know, but there, some things will get flagged up. There are things that I think, I can't believe that got through. I mean, quite a lot, but... I was just thinking, oh, well. <laughs> have you got one? Have you got one? one? Yeah, I've got one more. An, an e-fit of a man police would like to speak to in connection with supermarket food tempering. <laughs> oh, I know who this is. It's quite obscure. <laughs> e-fit. Although he's the most powerful person we've spoken about today. Actual power. Mark Zuckerberg. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's, and, and that was one in the, in the same column. That was one of about three equally good descriptions and i will say that I, I i was slightly trepidatious that i was going to start finding stuff about ed but it seems to me that ed got quite uh not an, an easy ride but it's, i can i can i can tell that you like ed through the writing well there you go you see i <laughs> there you go and I, I have to say that this book is drawn from 2016 yes onwards. that's why i say post ed and well no it's not post ed <laughs> but it's <laughs> so really what it is is that it ends up being mostly about the government i mean i I mostly write about people who are in power. And there's some things I go back and think, even though those people didn't have power or didn't look like they were going to win, I think I should. there was more scope for comedy and comment. I sort of wish I'd done more on e.g. people's vote. There was something very hoped Remainer about that whole thing. And I never actually felt that they were going to get what they wanted. So in the end, I just ended up tending to write about whatever Theresa May was doing at the time as she was just desperately trying to make any of this thing happen um and i but i think that would have been quite funny and i think i i slightly think but you know so much happened that's the thing there were so many events it's been such a turbulent time that (laughs) there have been so many turbulent things yes well i mean the chaos that you would have ushered in thank god we never went there (laughs) i mean i have to say i did really i was reading back your book and i did enjoy the David Cameron's last PMQ's column. As I leave today, reflected David Cameron, I hope the people will see a stronger country. And then you say, and I hope to open the batting for England in the first test against yeah. Pakistan Awards <laughs> tomorrow. Every time I see that picture of him in that heart, it just strikes. How can he show his face? I know. I don't think he does show his face very much. I think he sort of, I think actually he really offended people like him. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Should we talk about how you got into all this? Yes, uh, it was. It's really. it was really accidental that I am a journalist at all because... Um, after I went to university, I worked for a really quite a long time. What did you do at university? English. English. So in a way, yeah. you think, well, perhaps it's something that you yeah. would have done. But I never felt I would be able to do something like this, so I didn't. Um, and I worked for a long time for a secretarial temping agency, although my typing was really slow, so I was actually just a receptionist. And I mainly worked in banks and solicitors' offices, you know, wherever they send you on any given day. And one day they said, we'd like to go and answer the phone on the bizarre desk, which was the showbiz desk of The Sun for three days. And... I answered the phone and it was absolutely hilarious. It was just all like celebrities ringing in saying who they were in bed with. It was people saying, I'm going to kill Chris Evans tonight on TFI Friday. Are you interested? The phone calls were, I mean, bear in mind if you've been doing, just putting people through at a bank, you're suddenly in this <laughs> and you're supposed to feel them all. It was so, and I found- Would, would people tip off stories about oh themselves? God, you you realised, it was a big eye opener for me and sort of, you realised how much of it was a sort of game and how many of the people in the papers at the time either their publicist or them were directly ringing in to keep themselves there. Not always, not always at all, but a huge amount was kind of so you, you did know, three days generated. As they would say. So you did. Th- so I did three days, but I then they needed to, then the next person didn't come or couldn't stand it. So I then ended up staying a few weeks, and then I said, "Oh, I, can I stay? Can I do?" This? So I did all these sort of you know, dog's body jobs and helping with picture research and running up and down cuttings, all different things. And gradually I managed to get myself a sort of permanent position there. But that was really... On the on the bizarre desk? Not on the bizarre no. desk. Actually, I read about television and then I did... Um, they had a listing supplement. They were all different little things that I did, none of which were particularly interesting. So that was a way in which is really unusual. But, you know, I I was on a sort of national paper and 
I honestly wouldn't have thought I would be kind of good enough to get into journalism at all. And how did you make the transition from the Sun to the Then I went to the Guardian, Guardian and so long ago now, I think it was, it was this millennium. It was millennium, still the Manchester Guardian. Maybe, yeah, it was 2000. And I went to work on The Diary for the brilliant Matthew Norman, who used to write this column called The Diary, which was really just... And you incredible. applied for a job there. Yeah, and I, yeah. he asked me to yeah. do it. Um, and we just did stupid phone calls and things like that to politicians. We never really had any stories. We just would like, ring politicians and say relatively rude things that they didn't quite realise were rude until a bit late in the call and then they would put the phone down on us and we would run the transcripts of the calls. So what something I learned... to be aware of the yeah, future. Yeah, something to be aware of. And no one does it anymore. No. It's, and again, so much raw material. Um, but I guess all politicians are now sort of freelancing on Twitter anyway, so it doesn't. it's not quite the same thing. <laughs> and how, how did you carve out space to be funny, though? Because this is something I never understand, how somebody goes from reporting or doing features to, to getting your own vo- well, voice Well, I suppose the diary is supposed to be funny. And then when I did get columns, I tried to make them funny. But I did always, actually, for a long time, I... Um, Oh God, I suppose I sort of felt a weight of expectation and I did try to be quite serious. Was when there anybody I, that you tried to be like? I think I tried to be quite like Matthew, my boss who I've just spoken about, who I thought was absolutely brilliant and I think is absolutely brilliant. Um, and there were other people, you know, I just felt I had to be sort of weighty. And then when I abandoned that completely, weirdly, um, and thought, this is ridiculous, I, which is all the result of confidence. You think I don't actually have to be like other people, I can be myself. I'm I still working I, on that. I don't when, know you, Jeff. <laughs> no, I'm still working on it too, but I'm closer than I was. And I find that I, when I stopped, when I started just trying to tell lots of jokes, weirdly, I ended up being able to say much more serious things. I, I know that sounds mad and maybe you disagree no, with having read my writing, but I really feel that once I sort of abandoned all that kind of idea of I'm writing a weighty essay or whatever, I ended up being able to say more serious things, although often via jokes. Um, it's like me after 2015, not that it's all about me. Uh, <laughs> but, but yes, I know the feeling. But yeah, I know the feeling. It's a thing, isn't it? It's yeah. funny. I think that's really right. Um, yes, I think that is true. And was there well. any snobbery about Because you, you did the um, for, for a long time. Do you still do the Lost in Show business? I don't, I don't get do the paper it. I know, anymore. I miss it. I right. start, yeah, I started that. And I lo- that was the first column I found my voice on because I really thought we never c- covered celebrities in The Guardian. Um, and then Alan Rossbridge said, who was the editor at the time, said, you know, I think this is a bit going to be like the Times not doing rock and roll in the 1960s because the 2000s, there were only two subjects. It was like Islamic fundamentalism and celebrity <laughs> culture. That was it. So you really had to, until 2008. But then, so for that whole decade, you really had to be writing about those one or one or other of those subjects. Anyway, I started this showbiz column, which people really liked um, because it was a way of doing it and, a way of, and often a different way of looking at it. And I found my voice in that and that was all, jokes but with some serious points strangely um and then also in the my, a sports column I wrote where I felt you know there were no women at all doing that particular time I was about it's, to say it's, it's very miles unusual better, it's miles better days. now but at the time it was and definitely when you went on the sports tour and you went to things like the world cup or the olympics I mean you know there were really hardly any and it was you know <laughs> some of the attitudes that persist amongst the press pack <laughs> Do you, it's lovely. It's like lovely stepping back for 30, 30 years <laughs> time. time. It's like, yeah, it's, like, it's lovely to time travel. <laughs> Anyhow, um, but I felt like, okay, well, I can't sort of be in the in club, as it were, and I'm not, so I'll just do my own thing. And actually realising that you can't fit in is sometimes the best way to find your own What sports do you most like writing about? I don't know, cricket or football. I love doing the Olympics because it's such a sort of mad event. The sort of mega events are fascinating. Um, and, but probably 
probably I wrote most about football or maybe cricket. I don't know. I mean... Oh, you've always been interested in sport, basically. Yes. Yeah, but so, I'm also the characters in it. It's a bit like yes, politics or yes. showbiz. You know, really, I feel like we're just yes. writing about these characters. And I suppose all the best humour comes from character or all the best comedy comes from character and tragedy as well, their flaws. And so I always used to sort of do it through the prism of the people who were And who And were you're down at this point, it's two columns a week. I do too, yeah. I'm really quick though. <laughs> you really are though. I mean, this is what's baffling if you think of you know, comedians, which I know is a different thing, but they'll go on tour and they can take a, a year to write a show. And so you don't talk well, to don't yourself I... about, is this the right metaphor? Is this the right... No, it's a trade, Ed. There's not enough time to talk to yourself. Yeah. You've got, I get up yeah. and I try and do it in sort of two or three hours and you just, it's a trade and you become much, much quicker. And I tell you what has made me quicker than anything in the whole world, and that is having children. And if someone had told me that before, but before I had children, I would work massively inefficiently. And after I had children, I was saying, oh, I've got to pick them up, I've got to do all this you know, and I want to be there for them. My focus became massively better and I spent less time on it, but the work itself, if I can be so wanky as to use the word work about my nonsense, <laughs> became better. And I found myself much more able to do even more things and to take to take many more risks as well, because I felt that, you know, my children were the most important thing in my life. So in a way, I like, held on less tightly to work and I thought, oh, it doesn't matter if it's I'll take this risk and it doesn't matter if it doesn't work out. So, so I've you taken think you've got, you got better risk. by being less precious? Y- yes, better by being busier, necessity. busier, less precious, just realising that it doesn't really matter that much. And if, you know, you make a total fuck up, it doesn't really matter and it'll all, you know, you can fix it. And what, what time do you sit down? What time do you open the laptop? Well, I get up, ri- I mean, like at the moment I'm getting up at 4.30, but normally I'm at my desk 4:30. at 5. Yeah, no, I know. It's ridiculous. But I'm, because I'm doing all these other things as well. I'm doing like sort of all this TV stuff and... You know, there's quite a lot to do with the book at the moment. So I just have to, in order to make it all work. Do, and if you and get stuck on a joke, who 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 do you trust to ring or, or call in to help you fix it? I don't it? think there's any time, really, because you don't have that much time. And are you aware, like when it so often happens with your columns, when people go nuts for it, do, do you keep an eye on that? Do you, do you enjoy having your ego straight in that way? I think mentions. you've got to keep... Do you look at treat, your treat the two imposters just the same? No, I sometimes, yes, but I think that Twitter is a real time suck and a productivity suck in general. Um, and I think it's really easy to think that you're doing something when you're on it. And I totally understand the need for it. And by the way, I use it a lot to, to sort of see things and I put my work on it. But it's interesting how many kind of creative people I know, really creative, really successful creative people, are, are nowhere near any form of social media because they just feel like it's, it ultimately will take the time off what and do you that they find important and when you, and if you look at what people are saying about your column yeah and someone says something nasty i don't care what anyone says about my column you don't care no genuinely don't no, care i don't care that is really impressive i I, wow. I would have if i was younger yeah but now as i say it's, it's so what not at all not at all no. even if you think oh they might have been right well i've tried and learned from it i think they yeah. might have been right but you know it's only a newspaper column we're not saving babies here let's face it <laughs> <laughs> you mind about it do well, I don't look at my Twitter. I don't look at Twitter because of not necessarily because of me, but because of people taking lumps out of each other in a horrible way. But um, you know, yeah. it's quite circular, and yeah. I find that sometimes I look at it and I think, "Oh, I see. These are the ten joke formats that are in, oh, in vogue inter- on the pla- platform, though. and they say them, and everyone is making a version of those." So, how do you avoid? So, if a column, you know, there's a, there's a lag. I don't know how many hours it is between you sending it off and then it. Sometimes being... quite long. I sometimes wonder why it takes quite so long to put up. <laughs> But do do you worry that, um, you know, if it's your first thought, you're just going to end up replicating the things that people have been saying on Twitter, the jokes that people have been making on oh, Twitter? Oh, yeah, I don't look at it on the day when I'm writing it. So, 
And have you? And can I ask you? I'm sure there are no new ideas. I'm not ideas trying to be the in the psychiatrist's so chair sure. here, but have you always been? You must have always been like that. Like, no, you don't I don't care think so. No, I do. Think. No, I think that is something that has come with time. You know, as I say, part of it's having children. You think really, it doesn't yeah. really matter what. Would you have cared ten years ago, fifteen years ago? Maybe, yeah. I, about more. I can't remember when it was. No, less. I remember once having some argument with somebody about something, saying, "Well, no, actually, I don't think this column meant, meant that." And yeah. then just thinking, "This is ridiculous." I've literally spent an hour yeah. of my Saturday doing this. I will never argue on the internet again. I mean, that is really true. And I have true. attempted. There may be a, like a couple of odd exceptions, but in general, I do not argue on the internet. I actually said this recently in a column, and I said. Arguing on the internet is like playing real tennis. Even if you win, you're still a twat. <laughs> <laughs> and do you know that the head of the real British tennis. Lord, real tennis Association wrote to the Guardian with a quite a sort of familiar type of letter? I've always enjoyed Marina Hyde's column about absolutely everything else, but I'm absolutely disgusted <laughs> now she's made a joke about. I'm paraphrasing vaguely here. Now she's made a joke about real tennis. I've enjoyed her everything. This is. I mean, I'm really why. It's like, oh man, it's just it's just a way to get off, as they used to say in vaudeville. Like the last line of a column about Elon Musk. I mean, it doesn't matter. But you know, anyway, but he wrote he got he got his long letter in, and I, I you know I apologise to any real tennis playing listeners. But you know, I've got a view about the sport, and that's just that's not going to change. Wait till you get onto pickleball. Do you know about pickleball? <laughs> Tell me what it is. Have you heard of pickleball? No. Pickleball is a craze. It's sweeping America. It is half court tennis with a wiffle ball and i know it sounds like i'm making this up but like literally millions of people in america are playing it he keeps going on about this i think like, like he wants us to invest of, they're in very it. sports they're very they're very they're, they're real fortress of their sports jeff really. and i are going to go into the pickleball, pickleball business, business well, you, if we can figure out do. what that pickleball business courts. is yeah in the uk just yes. look up any new york times article about pickleball honestly they write about pickleball all the time are you really going to import yeah like you, you should go into the baseball business over here I, and I, how do you get see no, how you get on i'm a lo- I, I love baseball I love baseball too. I love baseball. I hope you're not going to go and try and go into the baseball business over here because I can tell you. So some I, people play baseball here, don't they? Some people do, but it's not going to be bigger than cricket. Maybe and, that's you know, true. No, maybe that's know. true. I love baseball. Yeah. Anyway, I won't go on about baseball. I personally love baseball, but yes. Is it the case that most people you write about, or a significant proportion, want to be seen as being in on, on the joke of themselves in the same way as people used to buy their own spitting image pu- puppets? No, is it? I don't know. I've n- I've never had any thank you letters. <laughs> has anyone has anyone written to you to complain about your column that they've you've written about them? No, I have had no horses' heads and no thank. Apart you letters. from the real tennis, apart from the real tennis, yeah. But oh, like Branson, Richard Branson, people like that. You know, sort of people who aren't in politics. In politics, no. I would say that strains in politics. I felt that um, there was some on the sort of Corbynite left who were not, who just didn't really think that any jokes should be allowed. Even if you're telling jokes about Boris Johnson every week, not even one week of jokes can be about Jeremy Corbyn. And I thought that was rather disappointing because I think jokes should be allowed about everybody. But in general, no, I don't get any complaint. As a sort of politician, I would say if I was a politician that you're writing about, you'd think if I complain, she might write about me next no, week as well. You wouldn't complain. No, it's just. Yeah, no, you, you know. wouldn't complain. How aware are you if, in your position of if somebody writes something like that? Yes, do you read it? I mean, I don't really read. I try not to. Well, I when I was the newspapers were loads of holes. People don't write about me anymore. But when I was leader, I definitely didn't read the newspapers. And I think it's very important not to. John Major, everyone says, I don't know if it's true, but used to read the newspapers. (laughs) Used to drive him mad. Um, I don't read the newspapers. I don't think you want to read about yourself, do you? No, definitely not. No, don't, don't. There's an interview with me that came out yesterday. 
because I never do anything to do with any interviews or any broadcast or anything at all. And I've just so dreaded. And there's an interview, I mean, of, of all ridiculous places, talk about the interloper in and pictures in Vogue. I've wow. refused to look at it. I said to my husband, look at it, go into the newsagents, look at it, tell me how bad it is, and then just come out. And he said, <laughs> it's lovely. I said, right, I, I will, no, I won't be looking at it. I'm not going to look at it. And can I just ask you then, you, you're very confident about your writing. Why don't you do more? I tell Broadcast you what, I'm or... just a writer and that's it. And I know it's really unfashionable. I have no interest in being like a media brand. I do not want to go on to television to increase my profile. You know, Eight out of inter- ten cats. They're not for me, no. Um, but <laughs> have no, I got news? You've always, no. you've always, they must have asked you. Yeah, 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 yeah or, and question time and all those sort of things. But I just, it's not worth it. I mean, also, I can't, I mean, the whole pageant of it, well, I hate it. No, no, I'd much rather be at home and read a book or watch the telly or go and see. So when, when you talk friends. about all the other stuff, what you do, you talk about drama. What's is it? Is it sick sitcom. Si- I'm, I, yes, I've got some. I've got various sitcoms and movies and all sorts of different things in development. And what does that feel like to go from being somebody in presumably a home office to working with a, a team of people? Well, it's, it, well, some of it is they're just mine, so it's still in the home office, but some is with a team. But I've absolutely loved it. It's just doing something totally different is so exciting and it's really good to be scared again because... I have been doing journalism a long time. And so there is a sort of level of like basic adequacy. Your, many of your listeners may disagree, but, you know, I can at least get up, do it. I know what I have to do. Whereas being really scared about um, not really understanding what, you know, how can I make this scene work? How can, you know, I'm in a writer's room. Oh my gosh, I hope this doesn't go disastrously. Yeah, it's really, it's brilliant to be scared again. And it's made me feel much younger in my mind, um, although quite tired in my body because I have to get up quite early, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Do you yeah. think if we had a a Labour government, is what's happened in the last six years and what's in this book, I mean, a lot of that is a product of the times that we've lived through. I mean, to state the bleeding obvious. Yeah, definitely. No, uh, I know. I know would it be harder under a Labour government, well, given that you're coming from a progressive point of view? But yeah, in a way, but you know that my job is not really to be the progressive imprint, as it were. I, I just you have to be able to write about all of them, and just as if I was a sketch writer or whatever. Um, to be, I have to be honest that you know I wrote a lot about Blair and Brown during those years. There was yes, plenty to write yes, about. Yes. Once you're in government, you know, I see. I as see. we know, things go wrong. They just sure, sure. chaos ensues. Things go wrong. Personalities reveal themselves in ways that they hadn't before. In my view, there is always something to write about, and a new cast of characters after. I'm sure quite that's a long time. true. I'm sure that's true. I suppose. I suppose what I'm getting at is partly that it seems to me that one of the reasons why people love your columns so much is that you are a voice for kind of angry progressives, but in a much more unpredictable an interesting way than lots of people. You know what I mean? You just provide something which is totally different from what lots of other people are providing. Well, don't you I think? understand why. I mean, you know, angry, angry progressives may still exist. No, under, understood. No, no, you no, know, no, totally. And, and that could, totally, that could totally. happen. I mean, you never know how it's going to turn totally. out. But, and in a way, that's the exciting thing. There'll always be something new to write sure. about. I'm not saying you're going to be put out of business by a Labour government, <laughs> I promise you. Well, no, I mean, I think, you know, a period where you could not think about the news, however it was brought about, for three weeks on end would be really nice. I mean, you probably have In the old days, we didn't think about the news I know, for I know. a really long time. We had John Ronson on a while ago. We were talking about satire. I love him. He's, he's brilliant. Um, but he was I mean, somebody who couldn't do what you did over a period of time. It nearly killed him writing a weekly column. But he, he was saying, you know, he'd, he'd rewatched Cabaret recently yeah. and what that says about satire, that everybody's being oh so droll in the Kit Kat club. 
in well, that's what Peter Cook said. When yeah. Peter Cook and um, um, Peter Cook in the sixties opened a satirical nightclub, if you can imagine a concept that I would like more, um, and call it the establishment, and he said. Even when he was launching it, he said, well, of course, this was, we modelled on all the great sort of underground clubs in Weimar Germany, which did so much to stop the rise of Hitler in the Second <laughs> World War. It never changes anything. I firmly 100% believe this, that nothing Swift wrote ever changed anything. It, it doesn't change so anything So is it a bomb then? Yes, it is a bomb. But isn't it nice to sort of, for me, when other people have written brilliant things, um, amazing sort of satires that I've grown up on the day-to-day or the thick of it or all these, you know, even watching sort of John Oliver now, you're thinking what they do is sort of scoop you up in a gang of us and say, look at awful old them. And they give you new ways of looking at them. And once they've shown you that way, but someone, I think it's, I can't remember. There's a bit in one of Oscar Wilde's um, criticism books where he says something like, you know, sunsets didn't actually exist until Turner painted them, which (laughs) is obviously a joke. But what he's saying is, you were given that way of looking yeah. at it and then you could never see them in the same way again. And the same as no one after the thick of it can ever look at politics in the same way again. It hasn't changed it. I think it's still really quite similar, but no one can look at it in the same way again. And it gives you that kind of, yeah, it's a balm. It gives you that that way of seeing things. And it says, you've been seen. Yeah, I, I, we agree. This is ridiculous. I, you know, I saw it too. I, this is what I thought of it. I think there's a camaraderie in it. So given that we're sort of ostensibly a, a podcast about optimism, is is the optimism in what you do actually just just seeing the con- conveyor belt of it? I suppose in trying to find the humour in it, you know, I'm just trying to give people a good three or four minutes with anything I've written. If that if I can do that, I'm that's as much as I can hope for. Just if you just to give someone a good part of their downtime, if there's if that's what they like. I love it when people say to me, oh, I'm, you know, I'm saving it for a cup of tea or I'm saving it for a glass of wine. And you just think, well, that is how I would wish to be enjoyed if I, if anyone does want to enjoy me. I'd really like that. We should just ask, when is the book out? When will people be able the to buy it? The book is out on October the 6th and is available for pre-order via all your usual outlets. Well, listen, it's been fantastic to have you. Oh, it's we been are gonna, lovely. We are going to carry on enjoying your columns even under a Labour government. (laughs) Uh, Marina Hyde, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook or tweet at cheerfulpodcast. Wahoo, we're in the outro. I've missed that wahoo in person. I mean, it's good on Zoom, but in person it's something else. And, And five more years... How, how do you see things five years from now, then? Yikes. So what year is that? 2027? Yes. Oh, love me, I don't know. I don't like being in the predictions business. No, of course. We'll be having to fit the podcast around your role in government mm-hmm. and uh, my role in the House of Lords. Mm-hmm. I mean, will you have any say in that? Knighthoods? I just don't think you should sort of... I don't think... think MBEs? About, don't think about that in the five-year frame, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think sort of I'm worried about <laughs> raising your expectations. Is a CBE in five years? Yeah, take it under advisement. <sighs> I did tell you that the big mistake you made was change your name to Jeff Baron Lloyd rather than Baron yeah. Jeff Lloyd. That that was that would have solved all the problems. I know, I know. You'd have got the place at the restaurant. It's Baron Lloyd here. <laughs> Sometimes on drop downs on internet forms, I will change my name to Professor Lord or Admiral and see if it makes any difference. And it never really seems to. Mm. 
I think when I walk into the restaurant, I don't have the air of an admiral. I think that flannel shirt could be a, <laughs> could be a sort of casual admiral. <laughs> right, I think we should end this podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, not permanently. Giddiness. Yeah. Well, maybe not. <laughs> Um, I should remind you that if you uh, have a musical submission for us, we want to refresh the yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, signature tune, then please send it in. We're going to start our Reasons to be Cheerful song contest. And uh, if, if you maybe want to be part of the new voiceovers for the podcast as well, got any ideas for slogans you want to record yourself, the email address is reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. You can just do it on your phone if you want. We'll just have to rough sketches at this point. It doesn't need to, don't, don't let uh, perfect be the enemy of good. And um, we should thank Marina Hyde. Oh, she's brilliant. What a talent. Emma Corsham is our audio producer. Rachel Barmer produces all our content and does all the research and guest booking supported by Joe Kenyon at Goldfish. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. Ed Seed composed the music. James Deacon made our eye dance. And our artwork was made by... Henry Cole. He's been Jeff Lloyd, as handsome and as lovely as he was five years ago. He's been... Ed Miliband, typical insincere politician. (laughs) (laughs) And these have been reasons to be cheerful. (laughs) Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.